0: Good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Midtown Church, and I'm uh, so glad that you're joining. For us, for starting a brand new series, a three-week series today that we're calling uh, Life-Giving Generosity. And uh, in this series, we're going to get to spend some time looking at how uh, the generosity of God moves us to live generous lives. And I'm really looking forward to getting to study that with, uh, with you, because like, don't we... Don't we love generous people? Don't you love generous people? I mean, I love I love being around generous people. Maybe it's because I like receiving gifts, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shy away from that. I, I absolutely love that. Like I had a grandfather that's probably one of the most generous people I, I've ever known, um, and I. Christmas at his house was always the best. It was always the best place to go for uh, Christmas because he gave the best gifts. In fact, I have one of my favorite gifts I ever received he gave to me, I think I was five or six. It was my birthday. And uh, he took me, and like I remember this vividly, he took me to Toys R Us and he said that I could have anything in the entire store as long as I could carry it. (laughs) That's <laughs> was awesome, right? I mean, my eyes were, like, this big, and I walk out, and I end up picking this, like, giant uh, Star Wars toy. I can't even remember what it, what it was now, but it was in this giant box. I know it was Star Wars, and it was, like, had a million pieces to it, and I remember carrying this thing, like, like, about to fall over. It was so heavy and like a big, and it was awesome. It's the best gift I've ever given. In fact, I remember that uh, growing up, I would lay in bed, and as I got older, rethink my strategy about what I chose that <laughs> for that birthday. I'd be thinking, I should have got a Nintendo. I could have got a Nintendo and just like piled up games I'm dating myself with a Nintendo that was the game system when I was young and just pile up games and or I could have gotten when I got into baseball cards I used to lay there thinking man, I could have just gotten boxes and boxes of baseball cards but anyways all I have to say I love generous people you love generous people and generous friends are the best aren't they like the ones that go to their house and they serve the best food and the best drinks and they're like the ones that are generous with their time you're like you're in a bind and they're willing to come and help you out change your tire or, or like me you whatever it is I mean we love generous people and if you're like me, you wish that you were more generous. You, you, you would love to be more generous than you are. I would love to be more generous than I am. I, I, I would love to be that, that friend that could take their friends on epic trips, right? Or, or to like meet, you know, meet big needs to hear about someone who's got a, a big bill or a car, pay, you know, car payment. You're like, oh, let me just pay that off for you. Like, I, I would love to be that. But what's the disconnect, why, why do I want to be more generous? Why do you perhaps you want to be more generous than you are? Well, the disconnect is this, that uh, being generous is hard, isn't <laughs> it? It's difficult. Because the truth is we all feel strapped when it comes to being generous with our time or generous with our money. We, we wish that we felt like we were able to give more than we actually are. Like you just feel strapped. Well, what we're going to do during this series, and today specifically, is we're going to spend some time letting God speak into that feeling, where we feel like we can't be as generous as we wish that we could be. And we're going to hear from his word and see what he has to say about that and that he would show us really what Peter says in in 2 Peter 1.3, that this is true, that God's divine power, that his divine power has given us, hear this, given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And I, I just want to pray as we begin this series and ask that God would root that truth in our hearts and teach us more about that during this time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would uh, remove us by your generosity. And over the next couple of weeks where we would uh, be able to just grow in greater knowledge, greater understanding, and greater appreciation and belief in your generosity towards us. And Lord, that we would believe these words that you've given us everything we need to live a godly life. And God, that you are a generous God so you've given us everything we need to be generous people that reflect what you're like. May you teach us that. May you be honored as we apply it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna be in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 15 today. So if you want to go there in your Bible or in your on your phone, uh 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Let me read this passage for us, and then we're gonna to begin to unpack it. Here's what it says, starting in verse 6. Remember this who are deep, Generously. There's a theme here. You'll see that word show up a lot of times. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not uh, reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever." Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you, uh, you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God and keep going verse 12 this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now you see that uh, this passage has a lot to say about generosity. And the word generosity, derivative of, is mentioned five times here in these ten verses. And so we'll just spend some time talking about what God's telling us about uh, generosity here in this passage. And let me just kind of give you a preview of, this, of the outline where we're going this morning is this, that, uh, uh, that uh, we're going to look at the impact of generosity, the motivation for generosity, and then the measure of generosity. So let's, run through these, let's just run through these three things and we'll begin with the impact of generosity. Okay, you with me? Now, when it comes to the impact of generosity, I think we all understand that generosity is a good thing, right? But we pro, pro, if you're like me, you probably have a limited understanding or fail to really think often or deep about just the profound impact that generosity can really have. And, and the way that I'm putting it this morning is, is just how wide and how deep the impact of generos- that generosity can be. And when I say by wide, I mean like all of the parties that are impacted by generosity. In fact, in this passage, you see Paul mention that there's three different groups that are impacted by generosity. The person who's giving it, the person who's receiving it, and those that witness it or hear about it. Like all of those people are impacted by the, 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 the width, if you will, of, the, uh, of generosity. And the one that it's like, it's kind of stands out to me. I don't think a lot about, but that he actually begins with is that generosity impacts the one who's giving it. And look again at what he says in verse six. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Meaning that if you are generous, you're sowing, you're, you're giving of your time or of your talents or your treasures or your, your finances. If you are giving of those things, then you will reap generously as well. And, like, guys, that's a a proven biblical principle. It's been proven again and again and again. You sow generously, you reap generously. However, let me me be clear here, okay? This does not mean that if you give all your money away, God will give you even more money. Okay? That's not what I'm saying here. However, what, what's true is that God is saying, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. That might show back up in money. Could be. God works that way sometimes, but it's not a guarantee. Or it could be that it shows up in emotional blessing or spiritual blessing, show up in deeper friendships, show up in reward when you stand before Jesus one day and he get, you give account for your life. There's some kind of sense that when you sow generously, you will reap Generously, either in earthly blessings or in heavenly blessings or in most cases. So you guys, I could stand up here before you right now and just tell you, like, that's not theory to me. Like, Krista and I, like, we are far from the most generous people we know. And this is something that we want God to grow us in the midst of this series that we're getting to teach this uh, next three weeks. But, like, hear this. We, we aim to be generous, and we have, like, sown and, and, and to a degree, generously, when it comes to our time and, and, and trying to bless people and with our finances. And as a result of that, I can tell you that this promise is true. You sow generously, you reap generously. And like, Chris and I could just go on and on and on about how, by the grace of God, we have reaped generously. Like, for example, like when Chris and I adopted our son Enoch, It was going to cost around $30,000 to pay the adoption cost, adopting him from Uganda. We didn't have that money. When we stepped out to do that, we had friends give us over $20,000. Like our friends gave us over $20,000. Like this is unbelievable. Like like I tear up just thinking about that today. That's been years ago. Or here's another example. Like both cars that Krista and I drive, they were given to us. Like, straight up, just given to us. Like, the Prius that Krista drives was bought for us and given to us. Now, this wasn't like a hand-me-down car. They bought it and, and then gave it to us. Like, this is incredible, right? Or like, my job, like, I really, my whole family, we live off of what you guys, a portion of what you give to this church, like, everything I have has been given to me mostly from you. Like, that's, like that's generous. Like, and, like, I couldn't even do my job. Like, I'd be doing my job with my kids running around right now, or Krista probably wouldn't be able to sit here in here joining us for worship if there weren't people right now giving generously of their time teaching my sons and my daughter about Jesus and loving them upstairs right now in this, this building. Like, they're giving generously of their time. Like, I could just go on and on about this. When you live generously... When you sow generously, you reap generously. And again, it's not always going to show up in, in one-for-one exchange, and it's not going to always show up materially, but I can guarantee you this, that when you stand before Jesus one day and give account for your life, if you're a believer, you stand before him, you give him account for your life, and you've lived generously, one of the things, one of the ways that you will reap generously is so you're going to hear your, your Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, enter into the reward of your master, for you reflected what God himself is like, our generous God. You sow generously, you reap generously. That's just one aspect of the width of the impact of living generously. Of course, the other aspect is those that receive it are impacted. Those who see it or hear about it are impacted. I'm not gonna spend much time on that. I think we understand that. But what this passage gets into is that it helps us understand just how deeply those group of people are impacted. Those that are receiving it, their imp- the impact of that generosity is, is, is really twofold. It impacts them not just in meeting physical needs, but it also impacts. Them in, and that it, it meets spiritual needs. In fact, here what what we see Paul saying is that um, that uh, the giving. Well, let we me back up. What you have to understand the context of this passage for a second to understand how it's meeting the physical needs. And the context of this passage is this that the, there's a, been a famine in Jerusalem. And uh, and as a result of this famine, many of the believers and the people living in Jerusalem are going hungry. Like they don't have enough food. And so Paul has begun... this kind of campaign to try to raise money from uh, other churches that would then give generously to those in Jerusalem so that they could uh, have their physical needs met they could buy food and not go hungry well like in verse 12 you see Paul talk about that aspect that depth of generosity is this that this service that you perform this giving generously is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God so first you see that it's meeting the needs of the Lord's people. It's like feeding them. And then it's leading to them giving thanks to God. In fact, he expands on that in verse 13 when he says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And guys, one of the things I personally just love about Christianity and even more so what I love about God himself is that what we see is that God doesn't just care about the spiritual world, nor does he just care about the material world, but he he cares about both. That he cares about people being fed, and he cares about their state of their soul. And that in Christianity, what we are told to do is like one of the reasons we give generously is to meet physical needs and spiritual needs to impact both body And soul, and Paul is giving praise to the Corinthian church and also encouraging them to give generously because, hey, this is going to feed people and it leads to this thanksgiving to God. That's why the church, when we understand this, thankfully, the church has a long uh, history of meeting physical needs, like building hospitals and orphanages and taking care of the elderly and feeding the poor and on and on and on. Like that history, like that flows out of this. And God cares about the body. But then the impact of the church when we live as God calls us to be, to be generous, it doesn't just impact the body, but it also impacts the soul. And where people are given a picture of what God himself is like, our generous God. And when they see us being generous, then they not only feel the physical aspect of that, but then they get the spiritual insight. Like they're doing this because this is what God's like. And then they're able to come to know God. Be forgiven of their sins and give purpose to their life, find meaning in this world, and ultimately have their deepest longings satisfied in the person of Christ, the only one who can satisfy those needs. This is the depth of the impact of generosity. And I think that Paul is writing this to those in Corinth, and he understands just how powerfully God uses generosity to help so many people. See, Paul, in his own eyes, had seen the gospel spread in amazing ways. And if you could keep going past Paul, you might have wondered, like, how in the world did the gospel spread like wildfire, like it did through the whole Roman Empire? That in just a couple of centuries, the entire Roman Empire would be basically Christianized. You think, well, how in the world did that happen? How does the gospel spread that quickly? Guys, primarily it was through generosity, It was through people generously uh, meeting people's needs, both body and soul. Sharing the gospel boldly while serving people radically. In fact, I love this letter. There's this letter called uh, the Epistle of Diagnetus. And I'm probably not saying his name right. But it was written about uh, 20 or 30 years after the Apostle John died. And uh, so Apostle John is the last living disciple uh, of Jesus. And so uh, this is an ancient document. We're not real sure who wrote it. There's theories out there. But we do know that Diagnatus, the guy who received it, he wasn't a believer. And he must have been asking a question about like how is Christianity spreading as rapidly as it is. And in that letter... The, the author addresses that, and here's some of the things that he writes. And <laughs> This is awesome. He says, uh, talking about Christians, he says, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not kill their unwanted offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet make many rich. They lack most things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, yet in their very dishonor, they are respected by all. Is <laughs> isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you wish that your neighbors would say that about Midtown Church? Like this is people that are saying, okay, here's the reputation of Christians. Here's why I think Christianity is spreading like wildfire. It's like look at these people. Look how attractive they are. A couple of things that they point out here is, one, that they uh, have this high view of, of life. They do not kill their unwanted offspring. In fact, we know that Christians not only didn't follow the cultural practice of of having a, a newborn this usually a, a, a girl, and then exposing her to the elements so that she would die. That was culturally acceptable in the, early, in the time of the early church. Christians quit doing that because they had a high view of life. In fact, we also know that not only did they stop doing that, but then many of them actually started adopting kids that had been exposed and bringing them into their home. And it was this radical generosity. Like, let me, as a high view of life, I care about people. God cares about people. I'm going to bring them into my home. I'm not going to kill my own unwanted offspring. The second thing that stands out here in this letter is this, that it says um, that uh, though they were incredibly generous with all of these things, the one thing that they didn't share was their bed. They have a common table, but not a common bed. And I, I could go on and on about the importance of this. For the sake of the topic this morning I'll ask us as a church today to learn about that. But uh, for the sake of the topic this morning, I'm going to keep moving. The third thing that he says in this letter is this: that uh, the, the reason that Christians are so attractive and why people were being drawn in was because they were poor, and yet they made many rich. Like the early Christians were known for being remarkably generous. They share all things with others. They shared a table with anyone. so they were poor, they made many rich. And though they have nothing, they were short of everything. They had plenty of everything. And what that is saying is that these early Christians were marked by this like eye-popping generosity. That They, of course, shared the gospel boldly. They spoke of the extravagance of the grace of God poured out for us in the person of Jesus Christ. But then in the way that they lived, they demonstrated God's generosity and how they generously gave of their time and of their abilities and their money to care for people. And when they were hearing about, when when non-believers were hearing about the generosity of God and then seeing that generosity, changing people into generous people, people were drawn to that. And the guys, you wonder, like, why did the gospel spread as fast as it did? Like, I tell you, that was a huge part of it. The first century church, the second century church, they were known for being radically generous. Paul understood that. He started to see that taking shape, so he writes to those in Corinth and he, to us eventually, as his readers of this letter, and say, "Hear this: the impact of generosity is profound. It impacts a wider group than you realize, and it impacts them to the depth that you don't realize." May we be generous. And then my question for us guys is: Are we? Are you generous? Do your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, your classmates—do they, do they see you as a generous person? Is Midtown Church are we known for being a, a generous church? I like, guess the gospel is spreading like wildfire throughout the city of Austin because the people of Midtown and greater than us, the Church of Austin, being known for being these radically generous people who give so freely of their time. And of their abilities and of their finances to bless others. Like when when you think about reaching your, your neighbors that you love with the gospel, do you only think about trying to say some words to them? Or are you also thinking about how you can demonstrate God's generosity towards them? And have they been touched by that? because there's something that was going on in the first century, second century church that had so changed them that they had become generous people and if you guys are not and if I am not a generous person then I think one of the things that we should ask ourselves is what was going on in them that's not going on in us because if we're not generous then we are not like they were so why were they that way and perhaps why are we not that way Which leads us to look at the motivation of generosity, which he gets into next in this passage. And so the motivation of generosity is uh, really, uh, in this passage you see two of them mentioned that uh, what was driving Christians in Corinth, or what Paul was putting them before the church in Corinth to motivate them to give generously, was this. The first thing he talks about is to help them recognize the totality of what God has given them. And then the second thing he mentions is trying to help them understand the enormity of what God has given them. The totality of what God's given them, the enormity of what God's given them. So when you look at the totality of what God's given them. He says that in verse 8. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You'll be able to be generous because God has given you all that you need. As it is written, They have freely scattered the gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, he will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. Who will do that? God himself. He will supply this. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Who will do the enriching? God himself. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why thanksgiving to God instead of thanksgiving to you? It's because God's the one who gave you what you're giving to them. And so they see that God gives you everything. People are blessed by your generosity. They turn around, and yes, they say thanks to you, but their thanksgiving ultimately goes up to God because God's the one who's giving you everything. And I know that goes completely against, you know, the advertisements, the commercials of the the day. You know, it talks about how, you know, you've earned it. You worked hard. You owe it to yourself. You know, you use, use your money to buy you whatever thing. But I think to that message, God would say, you earned it with what? Like you, you you earned it with the mind that I gave you freely. You you earned it while breathing the air that I gave you freely. You, you earned it through the connections that I gave you freely. Like everything you have ultimately comes from God. It's the totality of what you've been given. You recognize as one of the marks, guys, of a mature Christian is that they realize that everything that they have. Has been given to them by God. Everything that they have has been given to them by God. I mean, and so, like First Corinthians four seven, it just says this: uh, What do you have that is not a gift? And the mature believer says, "You know, you're right. Nothing. Everything I have is a gift, and therefore I see it as that." And therefore, I'm more freely able to give it away because it was first given to me. One of the things that's most aggravating (laughs) as a parent, I don't know if other parents can relate to this, is that whenever you buy something for your kid, and then you ask for a little bit of it, and they say no, parents that ever happened to you, like the other day I'm like taking my kids to uh, get ice cream and I was being like really good, like trying not to eat that stuff, you know, And uh, I, but I buy my three kids some ice cream and now I'm watching them eat that ice cream and then I want some of that ice cream. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just ask for a bite. So I asked Camp, my oldest son, for a bite and he says, but dad, this is my ice cream. I'm like, I know it's your ice cream. I just bought it for you I just gave it to you I don't want all of it back I just want a bite like come on really like you don't even give me a bite but guys like here's God saying to us like everything you have I've given to you everything and I'm not asking for all of it back but what I am asking is for you to use some of it to bless others to give some of it away, some of your time, to use your abilities to give that to serve others and use some of your finances. Give that to others, that you would honor me by giving it some away. And we say, but God, it's mine. You gave it to me. He's like, come on, really? Yeah, I gave it to you freely. Give some away. When Again, a mature believer, they see that, and therefore it changes how you view everything that you have. Your time, your resources, your talents, and you say, okay, this given to me, I'm going to give away freely. The other thing that motivates believers is not just understanding the totality of what you've been given, but the enormity of what you've been given. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 13 through 15 speaks on this, it says that others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your what? Your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given who? surpassing grace God has given them through you? No, No, they're giving thanks for the surpassing grace that God has given you. And he ends it with, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And guys, it's this indescribable gift. It's a thing that when you recognize the enormity of it, and how desperately you needed it, that God uses that to grip your heart, to move you to want to give generously. And that's the indescribable gift that He's talking about here is the person of Jesus Himself. That God so loved the world that He gave His Son. That Jesus so loved us that He willingly laid down His life for us. That God would die. That we could be forgiven and brought into a relationship with him. This is the indescribable gift. And when you grasp that, it moves you to give generously. Like I mentioned earlier, like we gave uh, both of the cars Chris and I drive were given to us. When we were given the Toyota Prius, we had a working car. In fact, this is kind of funny. We we had a, a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was a great car. I loved that car. What's wild is that that car could not fit three car seats in the back seat. And Krista was pregnant with Della, about to have her. So we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And what we had these incredibly generous friends, they actually bought us a Prius. That's the funny thing. A Prius actually can fit three car seats in the back seat. An SUV can't. Odd. But anyway, so they buy us this Prius, and they give it to us. Well, like, we were so moved by their generosity that Chris and I never even thought about, hey, we should take our, Grand, our Jeep Grand Cherokee and sell that and also get all this money for it. Now, we were so moved by their generosity that we thought right away, like, yeah, like, let me just see, like, who should we give our Jeep to? I mean, it's a great car. We've been given this. Who can we give this to? And so we, with joy, gave the, the Jeep to someone else. <laughs> and, and, like, that was so, like, that was awesome. And then we were cheerful in that. Like, we was a, that it was a joy. But guys, that was a response to getting a car. When we reflect and realize or in Jesus Christ how how incredible the gift is, the indescribable gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ, how does it not just move us to want to give anything else away to where we would hold on with tight fists anything else in our life? No. We would say with open hands, God, what would you have me do with what you've given me in light of what you've given me? Guys, what has He given us? He's given us Himself. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, our faith in Him, you are given forgiveness. That you are given reconciliation with God. That you are given His righteousness, that God's own righteousness would be credited to you. That you're given a place in his family where you're adopted into the family of God. That you're a child of God. That you're called a co-heir with Christ. That you're going to receive an inheritance equal with the inheritance of Jesus himself. Like try to map your, wrap your mind around that. What else are you given? You're given the Holy Spirit, God himself to come and live within you. To where now you're given the ability to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness. What else are you given? You're given a new identity. You're you're given a a brand new, you're made a brand new creation. And you're given and promised in Christ that one day you'll be given a new heavens and a new earth and you could just keep going on and on and on like we have been given so much in the person of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. No wonder it's called an indescribable gift. We will spend all of eternity mining the depths of the gift that God has given us in the person of Jesus Christ. And when that begins to sink in, it moves you. It motivates you. It compels you to respond with generosity. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say in this passage that if, uh, if you aren't living a generous life, it makes sense for the people around you to wonder if you've tasted the generosity the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, look what he says in verse 13. Like, this is a big deal. I listen in on this. He says, because of the service by which you have, now look look at this word, you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Like, you, you see what he's saying there? It's through your generosity that you have proved yourself. Like, proved yourself to who? To God? No, not to God. God doesn't need your generosity to prove that you've put your faith in Christ. Well, who are you then proving it? Well, in context here, you're proving it to those who are receiving your generosity. That as people receive your generosity, those people say, that person must be a Christian. Now, why else would they be giving so generously, so sacrificially? They must have tasted the very generosity of God and it's changed them into generous people. And guys, do the people around you, do they absolutely testify (laughs) that you must be a believer because they've tasted and seen your generosity? The result of God's generosity changing your heart and making you a generous person. How you care for those who are in need. How you care for your friends. How you care for those who don't know Jesus yet. How you care for the poor or for the orphan or for the widow or for the refugee or on and on. Is there any testament of your generosity that would then prove to those that are looking in, this person must be a, a Jesus follower? This person must have tasted of the generosity of God because look how it's changed them. Now, one of the things that I love about this church is that any given Sunday, I know that there are a number of people here who, who don't really know where you stand with Jesus. And uh, you, you maybe you're exploring Christianity and you, you're not sure yet if you believe this or not. And I just want you to say like that, that we love that you're here. And God, more importantly, he loves that you're here. And perhaps if you're trying to figure out, okay, where, where do I stand with God? And, and in the topic of this conversation, let me, let me just give you uh, one question that you can ask that would help you self-diagnose kind of where, where you stand with God. And, and that question is this. Do you fear that you have not done enough to earn his acceptance? Do you fear that you haven't done enough to earn his acceptance? That's a a very helpful question for you to diagnose where you stand with Jesus because if that's your fear, then what that tells me is that you don't know who Jesus is yet. You don't know who God is yet. And so you you don't know him yet, and that's okay. You can keep exploring it. And even here is what I would want to tell you is that the reason why that tells me you don't know who Jesus is more yet is because uh, Jesus is way more generous than you think he is. Jesus, in his generosity and his grace, doesn't actually require you to do or earn any of his acceptance. You don't have to do anything to earn his acceptance. In fact, you can't. But God has freely given it to you in the person of Jesus, that it is a free gift not earned by works, lest any of us boast. And that the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is by believing that God has given you this gift. That in belief is how you receive the gift that God has given you freely. And you have nothing, there's nothing that you can do or there's nothing that you have to do to earn his acceptance. He's given it. And if that's new to you or you're still trying to figure it out, let me just say, I'm so glad that you're here. I want you to think about that. That's the truth of the gospel message. And everything that I've said up to this point and I'm about to say, like, just blow that off about being generous. Like, if you think about this, that's the most most important thing is for you to recognize how God has been generous to you and for you to receive that gift. And then once you've received the gift of this indescribable gift to you, everything else I've said will follow. But for the rest of us who say, okay, yeah, I've received that gift from Jesus, then where's the, is there proof? <laughs> Are you being changed? Are you growing in generosity? Are you being moved by this gift to live a generous life? And then you might say, well, what, what, okay, well, what, what's the measure? How do I know what, I mean, what, what, when it comes down to it, what's generous, what's not generous? Well, uh, It's a a bit of a silly question, okay, because we're not having to measure up in order to be accepted by God, right? That's what I just talked about. That's awesome. However, in this passage, there are a couple statements that are made here that give us a little bit of indication of what generosity really looks like. And let me just say this real quick. The first one is found in verse 7 where he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, keep that in mind. Then the second thing he says is this, verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. The obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Or other translations will put it this way. For the obedience that is in accord with the gospel or for the obedience that is in harmony with the gospel. And what Paul is saying in this passage is this. Then when it comes to wondering what is generosity like, what's the measure, if you will, of generosity, it's this. It's obedience that is in harmony with the gospel. So we're not talking 10%. We're not talking about a certain amount of hours a week. What we're talking about is we look at the indescribable gift of Jesus and we say, okay, what obedience, what level of generosity is in harmony with the gospel, with the gift that I've been given in Jesus himself? And then you say, because that is what is like the, I'm responding to, then I'm happy to give. Like I'm giving cheerfully because I'm not giving in order to get something from God. I'm giving in response to what I've already been given from God. Like God has already given me Jesus. He's already given me acceptance and forgiveness. He's given me this gift. and now I cheerfully, like Chris and I did with the car, cheerfully turn and give generously not reluctantly, not like my arm is being held behind my back and I've got to do this, but because of what I've been given, I give, and the point that I give or to the measure I give is all in line with what I've been given. It's in harmony with the gospel. So guys, what do we do with all this? Let me give you two things. The first is this. This week and even starting today and on the way home, I would encourage you for you to begin meditating on the gift that God has given you, the totality of that gift, everything you have as a gift, the enormity of the gift, the person of Jesus Christ, that you would talk with your, with your roommate or with your husband or wife or your friends, that you would talk even today and just say, hey, like, like, let's spend some time just thinking about and listing out all things we have to be thankful for that God has given us. Or let's talk about the indescribable gift of Jesus. Like how how has this gift impacted our lives? That you would begin to perhaps have the the, the callousness of our heart oftentimes is what happens because we've grown so accustomed to what God's given us that it no longer has this impact anymore, which is such a shame. But you begin to pick away at that by remembering what God has given you. You talk about that. You meditate on that. And this week we would first begin by realizing the incredible generosity of God towards us. And then... The second thing that you would do, following an order, is that you begin to pray. God, how would you have me respond in kind? How can I give in obedience to, in harmony with the gospel, cheerfully? And guys, these menus that are on your, t- on your chair, like this is a helpful tool. Take this home. This is one way that you can give of your time. As you serve his body, church, or serve with us to our community. And here's one thing I'd like you to pray over. Consider, like, here's a, way, here's a way that I could give in light of what he's given me. But do that. Meditate on what he's given you. And then respond by prayerfully considering how you can act in kind in light of his gift. We're going to begin by meditating on what he's given us by ending this morning by uh, this message with communion. And as the band comes up here, I want to just invite you guys to re- recognize that in communion, we're remembering Jesus' body given to us. His blood spilled out for us. That through his death and through his resurrection, that we could be brought into a new covenant, a new relationship with God. And that when you hold in your hand, you're holding a tangible reminder of the incredible, indescribable gift that God has given you. And as you take it, I just want to encourage you to to say thanks. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Heavenly Father, we love you. We don't deserve the gift that you've given us. We could never have earned it on our own, but God in your incredible generosity and grace you gave us the one thing that we needed more than anything else. You gave us your son. And through Jesus we could have forgiveness and enter into eternal life with you. God, thank you for your generosity. Lord, move us to reflect what you're like, that we would be generous as you are generous. Amen.